right. Well, good morning. Hasn't it been good already? Wow. Thank you, worship team, for taking us to the glorious throne of grace. I, I tell you what, I, um, yeah, God's good. <laughs> He's real good. I'm so thankful for his grace today and his sacrifice and his mercy. I'm so glad he didn't say you've got to make it on your own. That's that he did it for us. So that no matter how weak or how strong, what color, what economic status, all of us can come into relationship with the holy God of the universe. That's really powerful. And there are so many people out there, maybe some here today, We've never experienced that. In our prayer today, listen, my prayer, and I literally mean my prayer with the Father today, was that the Holy Spirit would draw people to His Son, Jesus Christ, today. We start a series entitled Judgment, and that almost sounds negative, and in no way is it, but the truth is there are like four major judgments in the Bible, one in the past and three in the future. And over the next four weeks... We're going to take a look at this. We're going to study this. Today, we're going to step back. We're going to step way back, but intermediately, we're going to step back about 2,000 years ago to a rugged hillside and just take a fresh look, a fresh look of what happened um, at the cross uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then next week, um, Brother Brent will be speaking, and he's going to take us forward, and depending on where your views stand... Um, most would identify with the judgment seat of Christ happening right after the rapture of the church. And that's sometime in the future. There's nothing on the calendar of God's calendar that has to happen before Jesus Christ comes back and snatches the church out of here. And most believe that during that time, right after that happens, there'll be the judgment seat of Christ. And, and that begins seven years of like, and we're not going to do this every week, by the way, seven years of really bad times on the earth. God's Judgment happening and the culmination of all things occurs while the church is up in heaven. And then the end of that, most theologians believe that there's another judgment called the judgment of the sheep and goats. And that's going to be another time of judgment. But, but really for us, and what we're going to capitalize on in that week on the 18th, is, is it's just a great time, a great lesson to learn about what we should be about. And I'll go ahead and give you a, you say in a statement, and you probably heard this from some person, anyway, love God, love people. <laughs> You've heard that before, amen? Does that ring a bell through our Ten Commandments series? And then finally, the week before Judgment House. The week before Judgment House. I think it's the 25th. Um, we will be looking at the great white throne judgment. Where God will judge the sins of all those who rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. All those who rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. It will be a very somber Service indeed, hopefully motivating for those of us who know Jesus Christ, uh, motivating us to share the great news. But today, today we want to step back a couple thousand years and we want to look at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and really just a part of that crucifixion because I really think we miss it. I think we miss it and that we, we understand if you sing songs like the old rugged cross and songs like that. Our, our main focus seems to be on the, the physical suffering of Jesus Christ. But, but I want you to know today very clearly that that was not the biggest thing that was going on. Um, but really, you know, sometimes my grandchildren will say, um, Mama, Papa, tell us stories. And they love to hear stories 
about when their mom and dad, or when their mom, in our case all daughters, when their mom was younger. And so we will tell stories about what happened when they were two or three years old and things like that. And, and, you know, to really tell this story right, you've got to understand that we've got to go back to the beginning of the story. And there's a, a children's book entitled, here's the title, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. There's the cover of the book. And, and you would think maybe that that would refer back to what happened on a Roman cross a couple thousand years ago, but that is in no way true. It really happened a long, long, long time ago um, at the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden. And everything was just so perfect. I know you've heard this, by the way. I know this is old truth. You know, um, it was just, everything was just so perfect. And the serpent slithers in. And, and the serpent was, was Satan in that form. And he comes in. He lies to Eve and says, you know, did God say? And you surely won't die. And she looks at the apple. And, and of course, you, you saw this last week. You know, she sees the, the fruit, the apple, whatever it is, the, the fruit of that one tree. And she sees it's good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. And it'll make you wise. And she, the bottom line is she disobeys God. She rebels against God. She chooses her way against God's way. And that was the most terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because it plunged not just them, but every descendant, and that is all of us, it plunged us into spiritual darkness. Because that day, our ancestors, and accordingly, as we've inherited their sin nature, we all are spiritually dead Without Jesus Christ. They were spiritually separated from God that day. And then God. I I was praying this morning. I said, God, thank you that you didn't give up on us. Amen? Thank you you didn't give up on us. Because he could have just wiped them out and said, forget that. We'll try something else. But he didn't. Instead, you know, he went looking for his children. He knew where they were. He wanted to make sure they knew where they were. And he finds them, and he looks at that serpent, he says, and again, representing Satan. Satan, I want you to know something. Sometime in the future, sometime in the future, you're going to bruise Eve's fruit. You're going you're to bruise his heel, but he's going to wound your head. And, and let me translate that for you in case you don't quite get that. Because, you know, normally a wound to the heel is not fatal, but a head wound definitely can be. And it was God's way of saying, Satan, I want you to know thing. One, one day, you're going to bruise his heel. And it's going to happen on a Roman cross. And you're going to think, you're going to think you won. But three days later, you're going to find out you were very, very wrong. And, and Satan, I just want you to know something. You just need to know something. There's a head wound coming from you. And it will be fatal because ultimately you will be defeated. And you'll be cast in hell forever and forever and forever. And that was such a wonderful promise. In fact, in fact to prove what was going to happen, the Bible says that God took an animal and, slain, and slew it. And then made coats, made a cloth, a loincloth, a covering for Adam and Eve. And it was a beautiful picture looking forward because innocent blood had to be shed. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And the promise began. You see, the Bible, again, maybe 66 documents, letters, books, whatever you want to call them. And it's written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period. But I want to tell you something. 
It is one grand, glorious story of rescue and redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It is one grand story of redemption and rescue for mankind as God reaches out and says, I won't give up on you. I will not give up on you. And so the animal died that they might be clothed. And then we could go on and on. We, we fast forward you know, several centuries and we find Noah and mankind has just turned so dark. But God provided a, a way of escape to an ark as Noah found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then the, the Passover came and the sacrificial system came. All saying, He's coming. He's coming. The promise will be fulfilled. The price will be paid. And about 2,000 years ago, it was. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that in the fullness of time, when the time was just right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill the law, that we might be redeemed, brought back to God. And that first Christmas morning, the Son of God was born. 100% God and 100% flesh. He was born of a virgin, an earthly mama, and a heavenly father. And he lived this wonderfully sinless life. And then when 30, he went public and, and came out and just, just changed the world with his miracles and his message of love and, and healing and redemption. And then at age 33, just at the right time, it was not an accident, it wasn't a plan gone bad, at the right time, he was crucified. He was crucified. And you must understand that it wasn't, again, it wasn't a plan gone bad. It was that promise made back in the garden. You will bruise his heel, but I will bruise your head. The the first shedding of blood pointing to the cross, the promise was finally made true. They took him, and of course, you know the story. They, they gave him the, the scourging. They planted the crown of thorns on his life. He, he drug a cross similar to this one up a hill after being up all night, after being unjustly tried. And they took him to a hillside, and they laid him down, and they pierced his wrist, actually his, his hand right here and here with nails. And then they took him and nailed his feet to that cross. And there he hung naked before the world, before God, extended extended between heaven and earth. Normally, crucifixions would last two or three days. But this was going to last about six hours. He was put on the cross about 9 o'clock in the morning. And by noon, something incredible began to happen. And that's where we want to spend our time. I don't think we understand. Listen to me. I do not think we understand what happened about noon that day. So in your Bibles, if you're not already there, look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Jesus has already been on the cross for three hours. We cannot imagine the physical agony he has gone through. And the Bible simply says these words. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. Noon until 3 o'clock, darkness comes. And what is occurring at this point is simply incredible. There's a scripture found in the book of Amos that most theologians agree point to this, perhaps not the entire scripture, but it definitely points to this as an accurate description of what's happening. Listen to Amos chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. And on that day, God's word says, 
On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. You see, at that time, at noon on Good Friday, God turned the lights out. And the reason God turned the lights out is because the Lord Jesus Christ became Sin. He became the sin. He became the sin offering. And our holy God cannot look on sin. And God turned his back on his son. The Bible says these wonderful words. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that is my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? And that perfect, oh, you've got to grasp this. For eons, there is no beginning and there is no time for eons both ways. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect communion. And for the first and only time ever and ever going in the future, that perfect communion. Communion was broken as God the Father forsook and abandoned His own Son. The cry, my God, my God, is the cry of an abandoned Son as God turns His back on His Son, Jesus Christ. Why, why have you forsaken me? And I would suppose that one of the most powerful scriptures I know of is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I simply am amazed at the power of this scripture. And there Paul writes and says, For he made him, God made him, sin who knew no sin. God made his his son sin that we might become the righteousness of God. As I have grown along my journey with Jesus... As I have studied the word of God, this has taken on greater and greater meaning. But back when I was younger, I understood the fact that Jesus suffered for my sins. I got that. And somewhere along the way, I began to understand that my sin was placed on him. But that is not what Paul says very clearly. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Now let me break that down for you. This means that every sin of every man, woman, and child was on Jesus and Jesus became that day. Can you even begin to comprehend that truth? Think think in your own... If you were one of those church testimony people and you've always been pretty good, didn't smoke, didn't chew, and run around with girls who do... You know, get that. And you say, yeah, all, all my sin, Dwayne, yeah. Now let's, let's, go, let's go a little further. How about the dude who just shot 10 people, innocent people in Oregon? His sins, yeah. How about those guys who flew the airplanes into the buildings? Yeah, yeah, their sin too. Let, let's step back and the crazy massacres of Laos, Laos and, and Vietnam. 
Let, let's go further back. Let's go back to the, to, to the Chinese and the Korea War and the way they killed and massacred thousands and thousands of people. How Japan killed thousands and thousands and millions and millions of innocent people in World War II. Let's step over to, to uh, Europe during World War II and think about the 7 million Jews that Nazi Germany exterminated under the leadership of Hitler. All those sins? Yes, all those sins. Jesus was willing to become sin, that we, that we, that we could become the righteousness of God. What crazy great love is that? I'm telling you, folks, it's amazing. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. He himself, talking about Jesus, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation, to propitiate, means to appease. In other words, there was a price demanded by God because of disobedience, because of sin. And Jesus became that appeasement. All the wrath of God. All the fury that could be leashed out against sin was placed on Jesus Christ that day when God turned out the lights. Now that's grace. And that's amazing. And that's wonderful. He goes on and says in verse number 2, he says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, John says, but for also for those of the, are you ready? The whole world. Christ became, Christ bore the sins of the entire world. Isn't that incredible? I mean, are you starting to see the immensity of what happened on that Good Friday? Are you starting to understand it's not for a few people? It's not for some pretty nice people? That every evil person you could think of, whenever, whenever you think evil personified, that face, his sins was on that cross. Wow. And he endured the full wrath of God for that and because of that. I read several commentaries. I've got a few favorites. They're all conservative. And every one of them said what I already knew. And as I begin to speak these words to you, I almost push back. But all three said the same thing. They said that Jesus Christ that day experienced spiritual death. They all said that Jesus Christ experienced a form of hell on that cross. You see, someone said, and I think the scriptures teach it clearly, that as much as we talk about the burning lake of fire, a lake of brimstone and burning sulfur, the worst thing of hell, the worst thing of hell. It's like the cross. The, the worst part of Calvary was not the physical suffering. When Jesus was in the garden, and he's saying, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, please, but not my will, thy will. Again, he came back, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass. He wasn't talking about just the 30 or 40 lashes. He wasn't talking about the nine-inch nails. He wasn't talking about just the crucifixion. No, no, no. The cup was Jesus Christ, Son of God, Holy God, embracing sin. 
It was so difficult. That caused him to cry out. Every commentary said that he endured a piece of hell, the wrath of God, and separation from his father on that cross. Now listen, if you have any scope of Bible compassion and Bible knowledge and Bible love, that ought to stir your heart. We could stop right now and say, thank you so much for coming to church and walk out that door and we should never be the same. We should never sing in Christ alone the same way. We should never sing the old rugged cross the same way. We should never sing amazing grace the same way. When we think about God through Jesus on that cross, becoming sin, enduring the wrath of His Father and taking for us what we will never experience. Because of God's amazing grace, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, what He did on that cross, when He paid the price, God did something to Jesus He will never do to you. God will never turn His back on you. Yeah, I know us, and that's really good news. Because on my very, when I have a really good week, there ain't no way I come close to deserving what he did. And you don't either. It's just amazing, wonderful, incredible, awesome grace. It all is all it is. So he becomes sin. He, he becomes the propitiation. He's the appeasement for, for God's wrath in our sin. And he does it for everyone. The whosoever will. It's, it's not universal salvation. It's not, oh, everybody's in because Jesus died. No. But everyone has the way. Everyone who's willing to turn from their sin and believe in Christ and choose to follow him can come to the Father. Black, white, green, yellow, rich, poor, BMW or, or 1967 Ford rusted out. God does not care. God does not care. My friend, no matter what you've done, no matter what your sin list is, whether it's drugs, alcohol, adultery, uh, sexual abuse, whatever what it is, whatever it is, lying, cheating, stealing, no matter if you think your sin list is long or your sin list is short, Jesus paid it all. It all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's why this is such a big deal. It wasn't a plan gone bad. It wasn't, oops. It was a plan from the beginning. The sinless Lamb of God dying on the cross. It was, it was man at his worst and God at his best. Man at his worst and God. At his best. As the folks observed this, you first see in verse number 47 this confusion. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling for Elijah. Elijah was the miracle-working prophet. He was so welcomed in the homes that it was not uncommon for Jewish families to set an empty place for Elijah because Elijah was the miracle worker. Elijah was the Calvary. Elijah was the rescuer. 
But there would be no rescuer. The Bible says in Matthew 26, Do you not think that I could now pray to my Father and He would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen? Jesus said these words in the garden. I don't need Elijah. If God wanted to provide a rescue, 72,000 angels were at my beck and call. Someone say amen. Command that much power. But did he make the call? No. No, he didn't because it was so essential that he died. He wasn't crying for help. Immediately, the Bible says in verse 48, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed and offered him to drink. There was some compassion at the cross, this was not the this was not the the drugged wine. This was the this was the local brew that the soldiers drank. They knew he had to be thirsty, and so in compassion they reach up to him. But then there's this callousness. But the rest said, "Let's see if Elijah comes to save him." And again, there would be no rescue. They were crying out to him these words. He saved others, but he himself, he cannot save. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He has put his trust in God. Oh, listen to these words. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am God's son. But there would be no rescue. You see... He was king. But sometimes being a savior is more important than being a king. He did not claim his deity on that day. Rather, he laid it down. And the ultimate sense of service, servanthood, and died for us. So Jesus shouts in verse 50. He shouted again with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. He shouted, it is finished. Now again, you've got to understand this. Go back with me millennia to a garden where where the father said to Satan, to the serpent, yeah, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Fast forward to an ark, a tar-pitched ark, where the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and the ark is a picture of redemption. Go forward to Passover night in Egypt. Go forward to the millions and millions of rams and lambs that were sacrificed, looking forward to the one pure lamb. And it is finished. It's done. No more need. It's fulfilled. First Peter says this. For Christ, listen to this. Oh, it's good scripture. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. You didn't see Calvary number two. You didn't see Calvary, let's do it again. You don't see Calvary, the reunion. No, because he died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, 
that he might bring you to God. I don't know how you feel today. Maybe you're one of those folks here. Somebody promised you lunch and you're here, you know, because you're going to get a free lunch out of this gig. Maybe you're listening on the radio. I don't know. But I want to tell you something. I don't know what you've heard about God, but any God who will plan this Calvary and provide a way that any man, woman, and child can come into relationship through Him, through His amazing grace or repentance and following Christ is a good God. How can a good God allow? I may not have the answer to that. But I know what that says. That cross says, I love you. And I don't just love you. I love 7 billion people on the face of the earth. You want to know why we go to Africa? You want to know, you know why we go to Nicaragua? You want to know why we do back school? Why we do judgment house? Because God loves 7 billion people. And a lot of them have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gig is not about us. This building is not about us. This work is not about us. It is about Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and those who have yet to meet Him. That's just it. Actually, if you want to be coddled and cuddled, go to the country club. Pay your dues and they'll coddle you. God put you in this church to serve and tell others about Christ. That's why in 1910, on May the 10th, that's why some people got together and said, this community doesn't need a country club. This, this community doesn't need anything else but a gospel, those words, the gospel witness. And that's why Dorsville is here 115, 10, five years later. That's why. That's why. So he shouted, it's finished. And what, again, oh, I wish I could find the words. Sometimes words just aren't enough. Verse 51, suddenly, suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Now, not being Jewish, we don't get this. But the temple was there. It wasn't destroyed until AD 70. The temple was there. And there was the courtyard where everybody could go. There was the holy place where the priests could go. But then there was the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the mercy seat was. And once a year, only once a year, the high priest could go in there. And he would go in and take a sacrifice. And on that once a year visit, he would sprinkle that blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel. Once a year. Separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place was a curtain that they say was six to four to six inches thick, covered from ceiling to ground. It took 300 priests to move the curtain. On that day, when God turned out the lights, when Jesus Christ became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, on that day when the Father turned his back on his Son, on that day when compassion and confusion was shown. On that day when Jesus cried out, It is finished. On that day, God reached down from heaven and took that curtain and ripped it in two. Now get a picture of that. I know God is spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. But whatever action took place that day, God did it. God took the initiative. 
And he tore open this four to six inch curtain. Of course, for God, that would be nothing. But he takes that and he rips that dude top to bottom. Not, see, man to top would have been man's attempt. But this is top to bottom and rips it open. The symbolism of this cannot be missed. The beauty of this Cannot be missed. Where, where God dwelt and the high priest could only go one time a year, God rips open the door and says, through the blood, through the cross, and by my grace, come on in. Woohoo! Shoot that thing, son. Telling you what? Shoot that thing. How incredible is it that, now listen, come on. God hung out the welcome sign. And, and you've heard, you've heard from your friends, you're a nobody, you're a nothing, you're a loser. But by God's grace, no matter how much money or how poor, by God's grace, no matter how good or how bad, by God's grace, no matter how long your sin list is, you are not beyond God's grace. You are not beyond God's grace. And by grace, he says, come in to my presence. Have relationship. Have fellowship. With me, How can this be, Dwayne? How can a holy God welcome stain me? Oh, by the blood. By the cross. The old song says, what can wash away our sins? Well, what can make us whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. That makes us white as snow. No other, no other, no other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wow. Well, Dwayne, what about religion? Eh. What about badness? Sorry. What about good works? Are you kidding me? The Bible says all our righteousness is filthy rags. But when you put the blood, no matter how sin-stained you are, He makes you white as snow. And keeps you white, by the way. You stay white. You know, you probably dressed your kids sometime, and you get them all dressed up, and they go out and get muddy again. Not with the blood. (laughs) You stay white forever. (laughs) That's just how Great God's grace is. And then, and then we have this earthquake that happened. And the Bible says the earthquake and the rocks were split. And as a result of that, the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. They came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Now, you determine the details of that. We do know this. They went into the city after the resurrection. You want to know why the tombs broke open and the people got up and went to the city? We have to have a party. And what better people to party with than those who are dead and who made alive? I call that worship every week. Because see, the Bible says, <laughs> Woo, where'd that come from? What I'm talking about is the Bible says, <laughs> We were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But He made us alive. See, we had to have a little victory dance. And what better to have a way to have a victory dance? Then some folks who were dead and God made a lie. Come on with it, baby. Shoot that thing. It's worth, it's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. This amazing grace, this great sacrifice, this wonderful plan, this awesome God, this incredible Savior, this wonderful Holy Spirit. He's worth celebrating. We, we just can't. Listen, listen. Don't. Don't settle for, listen, don't settle for religion. Don't, don't be put into bondage with this thing we call church. 
I hope today when you leave, if this thing will be burning your heart, when you see that cross every week and go, that's where my Jesus became sin. That's where my Jesus was abandoned by the Father. And it all happened for me and for you and for man. Shoot that thing, son. Five cups, in case you're wondering. Coffee. Just wanted you to know. Verse 54. Now look, this is where it comes home today. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified. And it's a good terrification. (laughs) Woo! Write that one down, David. And they said... This man really was God's son. Now, now, let's just be honest. Can we be candid? We really don't know what they meant by that. But they knew this. That the man on the cross was no ordinary man. And what? That was no ordinary Friday. The events that happened on that day was no ordinary Friday. They may well have understood enough as they saw Mary and John. And they well understood enough as they saw what Jesus had done that day to understand truly this man was the Son of God. But they knew he was no ordinary man. And the question is, what did they do with that information? There's an old song written back in 1905. And the words of the chorus goes something like this. What? Will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, What will he do with me? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you just cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, What will he do with me? I don't know where you are today. I don't know. I know this. If you're here today and you've been disillusioned by what you've seen in church and preachers or whatever, you know, I won't go to church with them hypocrites, you know, I don't know. But I do have a question for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Now, again, I say it about every week, it seems like these times. There's no other book like this book. No other book. 1,500 years, 40 authors, 66 documents, one consistent, clear message, the redemption of mankind. It's proven itself. Again, there's not, not Bible revision number 27 because this is God's living word. And that's what I've tried to share with you today. I I know there's inconsistency in preachers. I know there's inconsistency in Christians. I know you've got like 8,000 questions. But don't deny the truth because of those questions. What will you do with Jesus? For those of us who know him... This song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, 
on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so great a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you're here today, and maybe for the first time, Or maybe the first time it just seems something right now is pulling at your heart. If today you want to know more about Jesus Christ, not about being a Baptist, not about joining this church, not how can I be baptized, but you've heard enough to understand that the Bible says every person sinned, we fall short of the glory of God, that Jesus Christ died, that you could have forgiveness of your sins. If you're willing to turn from your sin and follow Him, if you got that much, there's a guy down here named Brent. He'll be standing down front. And we don't, listen, we don't have all the answers. But we know the answer to this one is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to know that, if you want to know how you can have the assurance, not the hope so maybe, not if I can keep it up, the assurance of one day you being face-to-face with God in heaven. If you want the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins, we can tell you about that. And the answer is in the Bible. No dogma rewrote. Nobody's opinion but God's. We can take that. And my brothers and sisters, my, my heart to you today is, don't leave here the same. Please don't leave here the same and ever take that lightly again. Don't take it lightly. We, I know we're human and we're finite, we're limited. We really can't understand what Jesus went through because we're not holy God. But that was such an incredible event that happened. And he did it for us. So every time we gather for worship and you see that cross, just imagine God's son experiencing the wrath of God. Imagine him becoming sin, your sin, on that day. And him crying out, it is finished. And my dear brother, Jesus is enough. Just like we sang. Jesus is enough. Would you bow your heads, please, with me? This might well be your day of salvation. This might well be the day that God wants you to come into relationship and fellowship with Him. And we want to invite you to come. Again, you don't have to have all the answers. No human being has all the answers. But there's some things we do have answers to. And that is, how can I have my sins forgiven? How can I have my sins forgiven? We've got the answer to that one. As we have the team sing in just a moment, I'm going to ask you not to leave, not to get up and move, not to go to the bathroom. This is God's time. And let me just remind you, we're heading into the Lord's Supper in a few moments. And that commemorates what we talked about today. So prepare your hearts. If you need Jesus, Brent will be down front. If you want to come and pray, the altar's open.
But for most of us, this might be just a time of expressing our thanksgiving and love to God for what he's done for us. God, we love you so incredibly. We do. Thank you so much for loving us the way you have. Father, thank you for Romans 5.8 that says that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. How incredible. So for my friend that's here today or even listening on the radio as we close the broadcast out, may they today come to you for the forgiveness of their sins. Believing what you did, Jesus, by faith, by faith, trusting. For those of us who know him as Savior and know that truth, oh God, may we be so overwhelmed with appreciation for that day and that sacrifice. Overwhelm us, God. Overwhelm us today with Jesus. And I pray it in your precious name. Amen.